Um, well, good morning. I'm so happy to be here with you this morning. You know, I was just as we were worshiping, I just really um, just kind of felt led by the Holy Spirit that we should open this morning with some prayer. I think I feel a little bit discombobulated when I still am responsible for the kids' classrooms, but I'm not actually in one of them. And um, so I just always kind of feel like, ooh, I'm rushing around, but then I just really want to be present and in the right mindset today as I uh, bring the word. So um, if you guys all would, if you're able to, can you guys rise and stand with me this morning as we come before the Lord in prayer? Um, Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, that you reign over all. Um, Just as we are seeing in the news today that um, the reminder that evil is at work in the world still uh, around us and, and in the Middle East today, God. We just proclaim your victory over evil. And Lord, as, as violence is happening in Israel, God, and as there's great loss of life and chaos and confusion happening in Afghanistan, God, we just pray um, just peace over the Middle East, God, your peace that passes all understanding. Um, We know that you teach us through your word that we, the church, are the children of Abraham, but we do also believe in um, Israel's place as a part of of Bible history. Um, uh, That was where Jesus was from. That's where all the miracles were worked. That's where you died on the cross, Jesus. Um, Just incredible things happened there in that part of the world, Lord, and there's just so much suffering there right now, God. So we just want to stand with our brothers and sisters in Christ in that part of the nation, God, and we just ask, God, for just comfort, God, for those who have lost family members, Lord. We just ask, Lord, for protection over your church, over your people, God. We just ask, Lord Jesus, that those who are seeking out violence, God, we just pray against them in Jesus' name that you would break that spirit of violence in them, Lord. And we just ask, God, that you would just bring peace, Lord, the peace that, that, that the world wants, Lord, but that can only be found in you, Lord. So today we just lift them up to you, God, and we just ask for that in Jesus' name. And God, I just feel like for here in this room, Lord, I just want to pr- proclaim that same peace. Um, I proclaim that same peace over Gino's body, God, and we just ask, Lord, that... We just believe, God, in your healing power, Lord. And even now, as I've been feeling some vertigo this morning... Just now, Lord, I know that it's the attacks of evil that are just wanting to silence me. And so I just, we just proclaim that against any infirmities, against any work, against evil in our bodies, Lord, we just proclaim the healing power of the blood of Jesus. And we just thank you for everything that you do for us, all the little ways that you touch us and remind us every single day that you are king over all. And so tonight, today, this morning, God, we just ask that you would just um, prepare our hearts God, and just open our minds and our lives to what you have for us through your word. We believe that your word is living and active, and we just know, God, that you have something special for us, Lord. So I just pray that you would open us, Lord. Please use me as your vessel, Lord. Let nothing come out of my mouth that is not of you and is not of your will. In Jesus' name, we just thank you, and we give you this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you can go ahead and have a seat. Um, as a couple people have mentioned this morning, uh, myself, 
Pastor Aaron and Shannon, who aren't with us, they're actually uh, in New York City enjoying a, a vacation, some vacation time. Uh, their family uh, tradition is that when one of their kids is a senior in high school, they get to pick where they're going to go on vacation uh, for that year. And so Rachel is a senior this year, and she wanted to go to New York City. So that's where they are, um, and they're going to be able to see some uh, shows and go to see the Empire State Building. And I'm a little bit jealous because that's on my bucket list of stuff that I've always wanted to do, go to New York. But um, but Pastor Aaron and, and Shannon and um, uh, Auntie Linda and Uncle Doug, uh, Antonio and Christelle, Myself and then um, Auntie uh, Fran and Uncle Tony, who are also still gone, uh, visiting their uh, nephew in Utah. Um, we were all able to go to the uh, annual MFI conference. It just happened this past week. Um, it's an international conference, so it's not just uh, people throughout the United States, but people throughout the nations come. To, they went. To, we went to Portland, Oregon, uh, the same place where the youth go for the one conference every year, and uh, we were able to participate in this incredible conference. And I just want to take a moment and say thank you to Kauai Bible Church because uh, that is something that you sow into us as the leaders. And so I know for me. It, it really impacted me. Um, I haven't been to, the, I've the only other conference that I've been to in the 10 years that I've done children's ministry is the Apostolic Faith one on Oahu that we did right before the pandemic hit. And um, so I haven't done any other conferences and it was just wonderful to be a part of this. Um, I wanted to share one kind of testimony for me uh, happened uh, through David Canastracy. I know a lot of you are probably familiar with uh, David Canastracy and his ministry. Um, he shared and he actually said something that I thought I wanted to share with all of you this morning because I think a lot of us can relate. He talked about the pandemic and how uh, as kind of his personality, he kind of has that can do it, keep going, push through kind of personality. And he said he just kind of went into that problem solving, get it done kind of mode. And he was just making it happen to just get through it, right? They couldn't meet or people had to wear masks, all these different kinds of rules. And he said that when the pandemic was over and they started to lift the restrictions, that he compared it to feeling like he had been driving on an icy road. So for those of you like myself who have lived someplace where it's cold and it snows and there's ice on the roads, you know that when your car slides, there are certain things that you're supposed to do and certain things you're not supposed to do. And he said, you know, it's like that. You, you go into that uh, adrenaline mode and you remember everything that you're supposed to do and you do everything right. And the car spins and skids and slides and eventually it comes to a stop. And there's that moment where you realize, okay, I'm okay, I'm still alive, everything's okay, but your heart is pounding and you're shaking, right, from all the adrenaline and everything, all just being overwhelmed by everything that just happened. He compared it to feeling like that. And he asked everyone in the room, who, he, who feels like that? And just about every single person raised their hand. And I thought, for us this morning too, I think we can all feel like that. Just Not just from the pandemic, but just from circumstances of life. And I know for me recently, just feeling overwhelmed by... Um, the season of life that I'm in. I have three young kids, five, almost three, and then nine months, and then doing ministry here at the church, and then also dealing with all the other things going around us in the world. 
it's overwhelming. And I've just felt so weary and worn down. And so when he shared about that and he asked for those two um, who felt weary that day as leaders to to receive prayer, um, I know that that was so powerful for me. I actually started crying because it was just so powerful exactly where I felt like it, at life right at that time. And I was just like, thank you, Jesus, because I felt seen you know, and so I just wanted all of you today to be encouraged. If you feel like in life you're in that place where you're just kind of beaten down and you're weary and worn out, just remember that you're seen. He's the God who sees and he knows everything that you're going through. He knows every um, circumstances of your life, even the ones that you hide and keep secret when you try to keep that brave face on for the world. He sees it all and he's there to comfort you and to be with you and lift you up. So I just wanted to say thank you to David Canastracy. Thank you for all of you guys for uh, making that uh, this past week possible. We really, really appreciate it. And I'm sure that you can go to any of the other people that were at the conference, and they can also be sharing uh, testimonies with you about how powerful it was. So, um, but this morning, let's go ahead and get down to business. I am going to be wrapping up our missions-themed the last few weeks. We've been talking about pray, give, go. And uh, Pastor Aaron asked me to to share this morning. Um, I do have an experience in missions, both uh, short-term missions, um, also in more of a long-term hosting uh, mission teams way. So this morning, I wanted to share more about um, the go part of the pray, give, go. Um, I feel like um, I don't really need to speak about why we support missions, whether by praying, financially giving, or going on a mission trip. Because I really feel like the Rosiers and uh, Jen Jenkins and Dr. Sharon and even Pastor Aaron last Sunday have just done a wonderful job uh, reminding us of what Jesus has called and commissioned us to do as uh, as his followers. You know, uh, just that reminder, Matthew 28, uh, he tells his disciples to go into all the nations and make disciples, to baptize them and to teach them to obey, to how to live a life fully surrendered to God, Um, that, that great commission. But this morning, I would really like to share and draw from my own personal uh, missions experiences. So I hope that you'll kind of indulge me for a minute. I'm going to share some stories uh, that I've experienced from the field. Um, In 2007, I was living in Western Romania. That part of Western Romania is kind of interesting because it has been uh, fought over and controlled uh, quite a bit throughout uh, history between the Hungarian Empire and then the Romanians. And uh, actually, the one thing that Hitler did uh, for Romania is right before he fell from power, he made Romania the big round country that it is. And that western part of the country that was formerly part of Hungary became part of Romania. So there's actually a lot of Hungarians that live in that western part of the country. Um, I was living in western Romania serving as a midterm missionary with Global Hope. They considered me a long-term missionary, but I actually like to use the word midterm because I only lived there for a year. Um, At that time, we partnered with a local Romanian church to own and operate three homes for abandoned and orphaned children, Um, especially some of you older probably remember the 2020 special um, in the 1990s that they showed that uh, showed the state of Romanian orphanages and institutions um, basically under the Ceausescu communist regime. 
um, contraceptives were banned, and there were huge incentives given for women to have children. So there were a lot of kids, and it kind of built this society mindset, well, if the government wants them, then the government can take care of them. So the kids were just abandoned en masse, and there were just tons, thousands of kids that were abandoned, and nobody knew. It was this closed country. Nobody knew what was happening, and it wasn't until after the Iron Curtain fell that that was exposed, and there were just there's just these thousands and thousands of kids that needed homes, that needed love. Um, and it's taken a very long time for them to break that societal um, uh, cycle. So at that time, um, we had those three uh, homes for abandoned and orphaned children. All three of them um, were operated with uh, by a, a Romanian church and Romanian staff. That was something we believed in very strongly, that it wouldn't be Americans raising these children, but it, that it would be Romanians because they were Romanian children who would need to grow up in Romania and function, function as Romanians. Um, in Romania, the largest and most important meal of the day is the midday meal. It's usually multiple courses. Usually there's a soup, and then there's an entree that usually includes meat, and then there is a dessert. Um, every part of Romania has kind of something that they're known for. And that part of Western Romania, the region, is really known for their food. So the food is spectacular. Like, it was always so good. I definitely gained weight when I was uh, living in that part of Romania. And um, eating the midday meal with the Romanians was always such a treat. It's such an important part of their day. Often our team meetings with that Romanian staff would take place around the dining room table after one of these filling meals. So you'd sit back and you're so full and relaxed and then we would just kind of talk over uh, what was going on in the houses and what was make plans for what we, were ha we had to do for the next couple of weeks. So I remember being a new missionary on the field, and I was super excited that we had a short-term mission team coming soon, and I was eager to uh, host them. I had been a part of these short-term mission trips that had been there in Romania, and I was super excited that now I got to be the host and have this short-term team come over. And I got to tell you, I was kind of shocked and when our staff opened up, and I, I was honored that they did. They were very vulnerable with me, and they shared something that surprised me, um, but it's really stayed with me and made sense after I had lived there for a time. They shared that hosting short-term mission teams was not only challenging for them, which I knew, um, but it was just not often as helpful as we Americans had always believed. Um, the logistics of housing, feeding, transporting, and translating for the teams was already difficult, but they also shared that the kids kind of experienced a sort of withdrawal after the teams left. So it just created this like emotional, physical, like high that these strangers would come in, they would want to play with the kids, they would lavish gifts upon them, they would want to take them out on outings, and, and understandably, they would just want to make them feel loved and important while they were there. But when they left, it would kind of create this um, emotional and mental vacuum, and the kids were just kind of like, uh, uh, forced back into their normal routine, but it was hard for them. And the, the team, the staff shared that it was, it took like a, a week or sometimes a few weeks of really intense behavior management in order to get the kids back to a healthy place, a healthy mindset. 
um, that they could be able to function uh, normally again. So I remember sitting back, and I was kind of aghast that they had shared this and feeling like kind of the curtain had been pulled back, and I couldn't help but feel a little disappointed and even ashamed that I had participated in a few of those short-term trips that had clearly not had that light-filled, life-changing impact that I had thought. And furthermore, as I thought about it more, I realized that most short-term mission team members only visited a place once, usually for a short, very short period of time, maybe a week or two. And I think most people here uh, can agree that that is not enough time to build a truly meaningful, trusting relationship with someone. So if you have your notes, uh, this is one thing in there. Uh, this isn't one of the fill in the blanks, but I just wanted to say, I think, I believe, I think Jen Jenkins agrees with me. That's why her ministry is passionate about raising up uh, local pastors. Long-term missions and raising up local church leaders have the greatest potential for making and multiplying disciples because discipleship happens through relationship. We believe that very strongly here. That is why we believe in the masterpiece process. If you're not a part of the masterpiece process, we encourage you to go through it. It is a, a relationship thing that happens. We want it to happen in relationship. That is how you make disciples. It happens through doing life together. Um, after this, our Romanian staff rushed in to assure me that they loved the teams, the kids loved the teams, and they genuinely appreciated uh, the care and attention that these strangers would lavish upon their kids. But like I said before, what they said stuck with me. And I began to ask myself, why go? Why go if you actually make more work for the local people? Why go if you couldn't form the kind of deep, trusting, long-term relationships that are needed for discipleship? Why go on a short-term mission trip? So I might be starting this morning off on a slightly different note than you maybe expected. Um, but there's a few reasons that I learned eventually for myself. Um, and some of you are probably are already familiar with this, but I just want to make it clear that um, the organization I worked with, Global Hope, they still prioritize sending short-term mission teams uh, to all three of their ministry locations because now they're not only in Romania, but they also serve in Uganda and India, still passionate about orphan care. Um, first, it's true that hosting mission teams is taxing for the local staff, the local church members, and long-term missionaries. It's a lot of work. But they really do appreciate it because they see how much genuine love and generosity is being poured out on their community. Um, they also we, they acknowledge that there are very real physical needs that uh, the Western church can help meet, like digging wells in the Amazon for clean drinking water. Um, also, it can be very encouraging for long-term missionaries and indigenous church leaders to have others eagerly come alongside them and offer support and extra hands to help lighten the load. Um, it helps them feel validated. Their work can a lot of times, they, they're so far away from um, family members a lot of times. The missionaries are away from their churches. Um, that support network isn't right there in the daily grind, and so they can kind of feel unseen and unimportant. So it's, uh, the team members can really help to um, help them feel uh, seen and valued. And then plus, it's fun and refreshing to see the mission field through the eyes of newbies, people who have never experienced that culture, that language before. 
Um, but all of that being said, this morning, I want to focus on what I believe is the greatest benefit of going on a short-term mission trip. So if you're following along in your notes, this is your first fill-in-the-blank. Short-term mission trips can have the greatest impact on those who go. Short-term mission trips can have the greatest impact on those who go. So what can you expect when you go on a short-term mission trip? Well, first, you can expect to go and be uncomfortable. Go to be uncomfortable. I don't like these shoes. They're uncomfortable. I didn't sleep very well last night because I couldn't get comfortable. I'm a little uncomfortable talking to people I don't know. In the Western world, our lives are all about comfort. Cars, houses, clothes, food, jobs, finances. We actively seek out comfort and we diligently avoid discomfort. If things make us uncomfortable, we quickly find ways to eliminate them from our lives. Sometimes discomfort does serve a good purpose and it can let us know that situations may not be safe or right. But when we're talking about missions, it's different. You can expect that stepping into the mission field, you should expect to be uncomfortable. Circumstances are often far out of your control, and you are very uncomfortable. It might be eating food that you're not used to. So that was one fun part of the missions conference. We got to eat foods that we were unfamiliar with. It might be uh, not understanding anything people around you are saying because you can't speak the language. Uh, it might be missing a connecting flight and having to spend the night in an international airport in a foreign country that you never intended to be in. By the way, a lot of these, not all of them, but a lot of them have happened to me personally. It might be finally reaching your destination only to find that your luggage got lost and your ride from the airport doesn't show up. It might be losing your passport or not having enough money at the restaurant because you still don't understand the exchange rate. It might be sleeping in a glorified tent with mosquito nets over your bed. It might be making your way to the bathroom only to find that it's a hole in the ground with a bucket and a ladle for after. <laughs> it might be sharing your testimony. So for those of you who are uncomfortable standing up in front and speaking to others, uh, sharing your testimony through a translator or hosting an impromptu VBS because a bunch of, bunch of kids showed up at the church because they were curious about the group of Americans. Or it might be hosting a planned VBS with a big group of local Christians and you're the only American that happened to be. Hearing this, you might be tempted to avoid the discomfort and stay away from the mission field. And yeah, it may be easier and more comfortable to stick close to home and with what you know. But you know who didn't stick what was what, with what was comfortable? It was Jesus. <laughs> In Matthew chapter 8, verses 19 through 20, one of the teachers of the religious law promised that he would follow Jesus wherever he went. But Jesus warned him... Foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. And in Luke 22, verses 7 through 9, Jesus told his disciples to prepare the Passover meal for them to partake in. And what was their response? Where do you want us to prepare it? They didn't have a place where they were regularly staying, where they could prepare the traditional Passover meal. Jesus did not operate his earthly ministry out of a house or a building. They were on the move so much that they didn't even know where they would be able to prepare the traditional Passover meal. His entire earthly ministry was about doing what was uncomfortable, right? 
He ate dinner with sinners. He talked with Samaritans. He rebuked the Pharisees and the religious leaders. When we follow his example and we go onto the mission field, we can expect to be uncomfortable and we can rejoice through our discomfort because we know the gospel is being preached and Christ's love is being shared. Next, if you go, you should go to be inconvenienced. Go to be inconvenienced. I thought about combining uncomfortable and inconvenienced into the same point, but I think it's important to understand that being inconvenienced on the mission field often requires more than discomfort. It often requires sacrifice. So it means giving up something that means a lot to us in order to serve or help someone else. Uh, Jim Elliott once wrote, by the way, I love Jim Elliott, Jim, Jim and Elizabeth Elliott. They're some of my kind of heroes of the faith. He once wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Let me say that one more time because I think it takes a second for the meaning of that to sit, fit, sink in. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It might mean giving up your dinner so that a hungry child can eat. Or it might mean buying a bus ticket instead of an airplane ticket so that you can give the extra money to help a local pastor fix his car. It's more than stepping out of your comfort zone. It's intentionally creating a void in your life in order to fill a need in someone else's. Going back to Matthew chapter 8, verses 21 and 22, it says, Another of his disciples said, Lord, let me please first return home and bury my father. I want to bury my dad. He's died. But Jesus told him, follow me now and let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Now, we might think that kind of sounds harsh, right? Jesus reminds us to keep our priorities straight and to remember that they probably won't look like what the world prioritizes. Burying a family member seems like a completely reasonable request. But Jesus wanted his disciples to understand that we always need to have a kingdom perspective. What is important here on earth is temporary and is of much less value than what is heavenly and what is eternal. Missions can help us get our perspective right and keep our priorities straight. The Apostle Paul really understood sacrificing physical needs and health for the gospel. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13, he wrote, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing and with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty with plenty or with little. And I want everybody to say this last part with me because I know a lot of us have it memorized. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And in 1 Corinthians 4, 11 through 12, he wrote, even now we go hungry and thirsty. We don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and we have no home. We work wearily with our own hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us, and we are patient with those who abuse us. Following Jesus should have a great cost, because like a salmon swimming upstream, we are living at odds with the world around us. Living by his example should bring us into situations that are difficult, a struggle, or even painful. If following Jesus is easy for you, 
all the time, you may want to take a look at what you're doing because you're probably doing something wrong. I'm going to say that again. If following Jesus is easy for you all the time, you need to take a look at what you're doing because there's probably something wrong happening there. You should be experiencing difficulty. The world doesn't like when you're growing in the spirit. The world doesn't like when you're preaching the word. The world doesn't like when you share Christ with your neighbor or with your family member. And he's going to do whatever he can to stop you. It shouldn't be easy. It should be hard. Um, If you've been living your life kind of on cruise control with Jesus and everything's going great, I would encourage you to pray about going on a mission trip and go off-roading. Do some stream crossing, gravel spitting, mud splattering, bone shaking, off-roading. I know there's a lot of people here with trucks that do that. It shouldn't be easy. It It shouldn't be convenient. Mother Teresa said that she discovered a paradox, that if you love until it hurts... There can be no more hurt, just love. This was the team motto for my very first mission trip. We even had it translated into Romanian and printed on the back of our team sweatshirts. And those were the words I would say to myself over and over again when I spent hours every day holding babies at an infant orphanage we served in. There were only two nurses on duty and 50-plus babies. So all the moms and dads out there, you know, like, how difficult it is taking care of just one baby. Can you imagine there be 50 that you have to meet the needs of, or if there are two nurses, 25 at least, right? So there's no way that they can care for each of them and give them all the attention that they need. They pretty much had everything on a schedule. So the babies were changed every three hours or something like that. And if they pooped or made, did their business in between there, they just had to sit in it until the next change, right? They didn't come around to check. They were fed on a schedule. They were not fed by being held. They would roll up a towel or a burp cloth and prop the bottle into the baby's mouth so the baby would have to feed itself, even like super tiny little infants because they didn't have time to meet their needs. So this led uh, the other girls on my mission team and myself to really want to just hold as many babies we could for as long as we could. And I remember my arms would painfully cramp as I was holding this one sweet little baby girl. Um, But I kept saying to myself, love until it hurts. Love until it hurts. Love until it hurts. Because I didn't want to put her down. And even for just a few minutes of her life, I wanted her to feel loved. Um, The theme of our missions conference, again, was pray, give, go. What if we pray until it hurts? What if we give until it hurts? What if we love until it hurts? I think we'll discover just like Mother Teresa did that when it hurts, that's when we're closest to the heart of God. That's when we're most like Jesus and filled with so much love and compassion that it hurts, like physically and emotionally and mentally hurts. And then when it hurts, I think that love can move us on to that next act of love. And the kingdom of God moves a little closer and gets a little bit bigger. So go to be inconvenienced. Next, go to be humbled. Go to be humbled. Ooh, this is a tough one. (laughs) At the MFI conference this past week, Pastor Matt Moult said that the humble of heart will win humanity. In my experiences, mission trips are super humbling experiences. Um, I can't really explain it other than to say that I feel like mission trips kind of cause you to strip away all of the fake protective layers that we put up 
and we feel more exposed and more authentic and more raw when we see the world as it really is and how we interact with it changes. Another thing that Matt Moult said about humility is that when you see yourself in God accurately, that is humility. That is reality. You take off those rose-colored glasses and you see the world um, not as this pretty place, but as it really is, which is pretty ugly. For a lot of people, the world is pretty ugly. And to reach the hurting people in this pretty ugly world, we must humble ourselves and step into the pretty ugly. Going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul describes how humbling life was for the apostles. In verses 9 through 10, he wrote, Instead, sometimes I think God has put us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We have become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. We already read verses 11 and 12, so go ahead and skip down to verse 13. It says, when we, we appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash, right up to the present moment. The world's garbage. The apostles, the church's first missionaries were treated like garbage, like trash, and they humbled themselves daily for the gospel. Paul even went so far as to say that they humbled themselves and became whatever they needed to be to reach the people that the Holy Spirit led their way. In 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 19 through 23, he wrote, Even though I am a free man with no master, I have become like a slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed the Jewish law, I too lived under that law. Even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. When I am with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so that I can bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. And when I am with those who are weak, I share their weakness, for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything that I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessings." When we step out of our comfort bubble, the life that we're used to, we see the world as the lost, broken place that it really is. And when we allow the power and love of Jesus to move us, we can't help but ask in humility, how can I help? What can I do? You recognize that anything you do won't completely change the poverty or the evil or the hurt of the situation in front of you, but you are compelled by Christ's love to do something. And when we do something, we're really following the example of Jesus. In Philippians 2, uh, verses 5 through 8, the Apostle Paul wrote, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, something to hold on to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself even more. And he, uh, in obedience to God, died a criminal's death on a cross. 
You can't find a better example of true, selfless, love-driven humility than Jesus. God coming in the flesh, living as a human, and dying for his sinful created beings. Jesus humbled himself, and he came on a mission trip. He came on a mission trip to save the world. So go on a short-term mission trip and be humbled. The fourth go is go to be changed. Go to be changed. My entire life trajectory changed when I was in Romania. Before my trips there, I lived my life mostly for myself, for my own goals, for my aspirations, for my fame. But in Romania, I first began to bow my knee and ask God, how do you want to use my life, Lord? And what can I do for your fame? I can honestly say that I would not be living here on Kauai doing what I do if I hadn't gone to Romania. I had done some children's ministry in my churches growing up, helping out with the VBSs and helping with child care during women's Bible studies. Um, but I don't really, I didn't really feel like I had a gift with kids, which is really surprising probably for some of you to, to hear. It was really hard for me. I was actually a very shy person and I was very reserved and it was difficult even with kids to reach out and connect. I didn't want to be a teacher, and I didn't want to work with kids at all. Seriously, when I started college, my declared major in the beginning was political journalism. I wanted to report and travel all around the world, sharing important uh, international stories, and my big one career goal, I wanted to be a U.S. ambassador one day. That was what, that was what I wanted to do. Those were my, that was my life goals. But serving in Romania opened a willingness to see the gifts that God had given me and to embrace the calling that he had on my life. Uh, my poor parents, <laughs> I was ready to quit college and head to the mission field for life. Uh, they were a little concerned when I told them. I wanted to follow in the footsteps of people like Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor and Jim and Elizabeth Elliott, and I wanted to pack up all my belongings in a box that would double as my coffin and head off to Romania for the rest of my life or wherever else God called me. <laughs> Thankfully, when I fully surrendered my entire life to Christ, letting him be my head and my king, he made it clear that I needed to finish college first, so my parents breathed a sigh of relief. <laughs> but from that point on, I knew that my full-time uh, ministry, that full-time ministry was my calling. As followers of Jesus, the process of living the Christian life is meant to transform us, to become more like Christ. Uh, this verse isn't in your notes, but Romans 8.29 says, you can just write it down, For God knew his people in advance, and he cho chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul wrote about how Moses had to wear a veil to cover his face to protect the Israelites from the glory of God that was shining from his countenance. Their hard hearts and unbelief kept them from understanding and believing the truth. And the same is true for us. Our sin creates a veil, a barrier between us and the holy God. But in verse 16, it says that when we believe in Jesus' death on the cross, that veil is removed, right, from our hearts. And we can understand and believe the truth. And that begins this transformational process where we are changed every single day to become more like Jesus, to have more of his heart, more of his mindset, to love people the way that he did, to see the world the way that he did, okay, to worship God the way that he did. 
Verse 18 says, so all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. So if you go on a short-term mission trip, you can expect to be changed. Finally, go to worship and testify. To worship and testify. We were created to worship God. It is really our true reason for being. And when Jesus did his work of salvation on the cross, our belief in him leads us to share it with others. If our lives have been changed, we should want to testify so that others can choose to believe in him and be changed themselves. God's love is so good. How can we not praise him? How can we not um, keep it all to ourselves, right? Psalms 96 Uh, one through three declares, sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord. Sing to the Lord and praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish, there's there's my reporting, (laughs) publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. John Piper said that missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exists because worship doesn't. Our number one calling as the church is to worship God. And missions is a vehicle to make that happen in every nation, among every people group, in every language around the world. Here's another freebie scripture that isn't in your notes. Romans 10, 13 through 15 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring good news. And so we go into every corner of the earth to worship God and to testify of what he has done for us. We go to teach and lead others to believe and worship and testify too. But the Bible shows us that we are more than commanded and called to worship and testify. We are actually compelled by the power of God's word and the Holy Spirit. It's a power that builds and burns in our heart so that it practically spills out of our mouths. The prophet Jeremiah said, But if I say I'll never mention the Lord and speak in his name, his word burns in my heart like a fire. It's like a fire in my bones, and I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. It's something we can't contain, kind of like verbal diarrhea. (laughs) Jeremiah said that trying to resist and hold it in was like fire in his bones, painfully and powerfully burning until we let it out. It makes me think of a volcano, like bubbling and burning beneath the surface and the pressure building and building until everything just bursts out. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were arrested for preaching about Jesus, and the religious leaders confronted them and said, they basically said, stop preaching in his name, and we're going to let you go, right? Because they didn't have anything that they could keep them in jail for. But in verses 19 through 20, Peter and John reply, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. We can't stop and we shouldn't stop. Worship, testify. 
In 1 Corinthians 9.16, Paul writes, Yet preaching the good news is not something I can boast about. I am compelled by God to do it. And how terrible for me if I didn't preach the good news. I think Paul recognizing, recognized that choosing not to share the gospel and testify of what Jesus had done was the same as denying Christ. And how terrible that would be for us. We love him because he loves us. We share him because he loves us. Worship, testify. Love for God compels us to worship him, and God's love compels us to testify and share his love with the world. The worship team can go ahead and uh, come back up. I want to go ahead and leave you guys with one more story from Romania. There used to be a lot of beggars on the streets of Romania. This is very common in third world countries. Uh, you don't see them in Romania as much now because the government really cracked down on them uh, when the country was trying to join the European Union, which happened um, now. It's like, oh, you know, over a decade ago. But on my first few trips to Romania, they were everywhere. And they were not like the beggars and panhandlers that you see here. Um, because there might be some kids in here. I'm not going to go into any details, but I'm just going to tell you that some of the physical deformities were gruesome. Um, things that you could just never imagine. And I remember talking with the long-term missionary who was hosting us there at the time, and I asked her if uh, they had been born that way, and that led them to then become beggars. And she shared something with me and said, uh, actually, they were probably injured like that on purpose so that they could become beggars. So someone hurt them intentionally when they were young, like a child or even an infant, so that they could spend their lives begging for someone else. Um, that just shocked me and sickened me and made me so angry that anyone could treat another human being like that. Um, a few days later, we were walking around town and we saw this beggar woman, and she seemed very old. She was almost completely bent in half. She was so stooped over, and she was hobbling up and down the street using a cane that was about the size of a ruler. That's how close to the ground she was. And it was just heartbreaking and painful to watch her. So some of us wanted to buy her some food and water. And we approached her and we offered her um, something to drink and something to eat. And it was so sad because Romanians walking past us on the street were stopping and scolding us for helping her in broken English. And they were telling us that it was a waste of our time to help her. And I remember turning to one of them because I was so hurt and angry and moved. And I said the only words that I could think of then, which I said, Jesus loves her. And um, I testified then, because, not because I planned it, but because God's love led me to, to love until it hurt. And when it hurt, all I could feel was love. And all I could do was speak it and show it. So go. If God calls you and opens the doors, I encourage you to go on a mission trip. Because even if it doesn't change someone else's life, there's a really good possibility that God's going to use that trip to change your life for the rest of your life. Um, and how wonderful, right, for the gospel and for, for uh, the world when we're changed to become more like Christ. And we will continue doing more and more for him. Um, I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then I want to go ahead and encourage all of you to just spend a few moments in prayer and just asking God, uh, and, in, and in worship too, but just asking God, what, what can I do, right? Have, uh, how can God's love uh, lead me to do something for him? 
Lord God, I just ask that right now you would just come and you would speak to us, that you would open our hearts, Lord. We are believing, God, um, for this church, for missions for this church, that, that even next year, God, we could see Kauai Bible Church going out into the world, um, going into foreign nations, placing our feet on the foreign soil, uh, bringing the gospel, bringing the good news, bringing Christ's love, God, and just expecting um, not only to be sharing love with the world, but to be experiencing your uh, life-changing love working in us and making us more like you, Lord. So I just ask, Lord, right now that you would just uh, begin to speak to us. Give us a, a, a people group, the name of a people group or a country or a place, um, Lord, or maybe even just seeing seeing a need, God, that we can help meet, Lord. And I just ask, Lord, that you would help us to, uh, to not be afraid to go where it's uncomfortable or where it's inconvenient, to not be afraid to sacrifice, but that you would lead us to step forward in obedience. And just like... Um, uh, uh, Isaiah said to say, here I am, Lord, send me. So I just ask God that you would just make that clear to us, Lord, as we worship you and as we spend some time with you right now.